reading can be found on page 1049 in the Pew Bibles. Jesus is speaking in parables to a group of people, to tax collectors and sinners, and to the Pharisees and to the teachers of the law. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms round him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because... This brother of yours was dead 
and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, church. I know you're an intellectual lot, so can I just ask, have we got any Tolstoy fans here? (laughs) I'm disappointed. (laughs) You've probably heard this really famous quote from Tolstoy. Anyway, though, all happy families are alike. All unhappy families are unhappy in their own way. I think that's rubbish, actually. (laughs) I think every family here today and every family you could ever come across, even the happy ones, has its dysfunctions. And the family that is the church is no exception to that. We have more than our fair share. Um, This morning, uh, as we look at Scripture, and please do keep that open in front of you, um, there'll be a number of slides on the screen. They're all pictures um, of the return of the prodigal son by Charlie Magazine Pictures or uh, Sculptures, all by the same chap, just for copyright purposes. I hope they'll speak to you in some way, so please uh, just let them wash over you and see which you feel drawn to as I speak. Let's just briefly pray. On the day when we commemorate Father's Day, Heavenly Father, we want to understand better just how much you love us, as we are. No conditions, no strings. Help us to understand that awesome but difficult reality for us to get our heads around. Amen. Okay, if you've got your Bibles open in front of you, just have a look at verses 1 to 2. Now, the context for this story, as Ingrid mentioned, was that Jesus had come under a bit of uh, criticism from establishment figures for hanging out with the wrong sort of people. And the whole idea behind this story is that they're accusing Jesus as an influential Jewish figure of not confirming to their, not conforming to their ideas of what a religious person should be like. Religious people should keep pure by staying away from the wrong sort. That's what God wants of you. And in order to show them what God is really like, he doesn't apologize for the company he keeps. He just gives them something to think about by telling them a story. Storytelling is a fantastic ruse, isn't it? I mean, we all love stories. Do you remember that anticipation at bedtime of having a story read? The excitement of just this world of imagination that would open up for you. Stories are not threatening, yet there's something about them which is deeply profound because it's like when you're told a story, you're holding a mirror up to yourself. You are somehow seeing yourself somewhere in that story. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to do here. He's inviting us to have a long, hard look at ourselves in our relationship to the Father. And he's telling us that we are safe in God's unconditional love. So this morning, we're going to have a look look at ourselves through the sons in this story. It's a huge, huge, huge story that we could preach a whole series on. But this morning I'd like us to look at the sons and hold a mirror up to ourselves concerning them. Okay, we've got a man with two sons. Any dads of two sons here? 
Yeah, marvellous. You know all about it then. Um, <laughs> imagine going to your dad and saying, Dad, you know when you die, we get everything divided between us. Well, how about you give it to me now? How do you think that dad would feel? A preacher and anthropologist called Kevin Bailey spent 15 years um, researching in patriarchal communities uh, how this scenario would go down. And the conversation always went something like this. He would say, has anyone in your village ever made a request like this? And they would be like, no, never. Could such a request even happen? Impossible. What would happen if that request was made? Well, his father would beat him, of course. Why? Because it means he wants his father dead. It's like saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I'm only in this for what I can get. I'm not interested in a relationship with you or anything like that. I just want the money and I'm out of here. Now, I know we're familiar with this story as a picture of how a person comes to faith, how the prodigal returns and uh, there's a party in heaven and all of that, which is great. But I'd like to introduce another angle today. You see, these boys are already in the family. Both of them are in the family already. I want to think us to think about ourselves as the ones who ignore the voice of the Father who calls you beloved. You see, even if you've been following Jesus for years, we do, in a sense, leave home. We leave home all the time. There are times in our lives when we do things where we're making choices that suit me, not that are what God wants. We all mess up. We all have to come back to the Father regardless. And I think there are a lot of competing voices that will tell you that you are not God's beloved child that make you want to get out of here. The voices that say you've got to prove that you are worth loving. And you know, church, sometimes we collude with this. You have to be perfectly behaved at all times. You have to never let your holy mask slip. When life throws horrible things at you, you have to pretend it's all right because you're walking in victory. It's a tough one. And we are pushed into believing a lie that we have to earn God's love and approval. And this story illuminates that lie. Look at the son's return home. As he gets near home, you can imagine him getting a bit nervous about his reception. And he'd be practicing his speech. Father, I sinned against heaven against you. And and getting sort of more and more adrenaline fueled as he goes along. I wonder if there have been times for you when you have messed up. And you have an inner dialogue going on about things. And I wonder if the story in our heads at this point goes something like this, or in the, in the boy's head. When he got near home, he heard a gunshot, and his father gets shouting, get off my property, you scumbag. You had all the benefits of being in this family, but you have failed. Or even worse, being frostily ushered into the living room with mummy and daddy on the sofa, and daddy saying, Your mother and I are very disappointed in you. Well, you know, scrap that. Because the world around us might do that. The church might even do that. But not the father. He is this old man 
running out to meet his son, who he's been looking for. He's been scanning that horizon every day since he left, longing for his boy to come home. Because although he'd abused him, although he wanted him dead, although he's thrown back in the father's face, everything he's been given, every value he's been taught, the father loves him so much. And he spent every single moment since the boy left just longing for him to come back. All that matters is the boy that he loves has come home. That's what God is like to you every time you mess up. That's actually, I think, the hardest bit of a Christian message to really believe. It's not hard to believe the universe was made by a creator. And if the universe is made by a creator, it's not hard to believe that, um, that, that God could become a human being himself. It's not hard to believe that we are sinful when we look at ourselves and we look at the world around us. The thing that's really hard to believe is that nothing you could do will make God love you more. And nothing you will ever do will make God love you less. And you know, both sons in this story find that unbelievable. The younger one can hardly believe it because it's too good to be true. It had never occurred to him that that would be his reception. Well, the older son can hardly believe it either, but for a very different reason. He's never put a toe out of line, yet he is his little brother running off, being a waster, and then coming home and getting all the attention. And the father's saying to the eldest son, look, you've got it all. You've got what your brother now knows is a fantastic setup. What you haven't got is the right perspective. You haven't earned my love. It's God's enormous love that makes you acceptable to him, not your good behavior. Let's just picture the elder son there. I think that's a lovely image for the elder son because he doesn't look quite as limp as the other one. He looks a little bit prickly, doesn't he? And... um, I want to talk to you about him a bit. The older son refuses to join in the party, and he's pretty cheesed off at his treatment. And I think that's quite understandable, don't you? He feels a little bit cheated. And he claims that he's slaved away for years, and he's never got anything from the father. Well, how wrong is that perspective? You see, he's quite proud. He thinks he's earned the right to be loved. And he's resentful of the father, And he's actually as far from God as the younger son was. But looking from the outside, no one would ever guess. He looks like the perfect son. Luke uses a really interesting word for the elder son. And uh, you'll understand, uh, given that I'm being ordained priest on Saturday, why this stood out to me. Luke uses uh, the word presbyteros. It means elder. It's the word we get priest from. Now, it's an interesting choice of word. Elders in ancient Near East society were the wise ones, not necessarily in the church, but in society. They were the ones who would hold everything together. They were the ones who could be depended on. And it made me wonder if sometimes uh, when we've been in churches for a long time and we've got lots of pillars of the community and what have you, I wonder if we can get like an elder son. We might be mature in faith, the ones who are always volunteering, always giving, always serving. But we can 
so easily rely on those things we do and we can run on empty. We can become resentful and lose touch with the fact that you don't have to do anything to impress God. You are the beloved. The father loves the elder son no less than the younger son. I just want you to have a quick look at the last line of the passage, the last verse. He says, my son, the word is not like saying son in a kind of fairly harsh way. It kind of means sweetheart. It's a very intimate term, a very affectionate term. He says, sweetheart, you're always with me and everything I've got is yours. That's, that's just such a beautiful, loving word, I think, isn't it? The thing about this story is we are left not knowing what happened to the elder son. I think that's a really clever storytelling ploy because he's leaving his audience space to imagine what might happen next. The problem with preaching is that you can't lead people where you haven't been. And sometimes putting yourself under the authority of scripture is tough. And I found out this week um, I have inhabited the role of both younger and elder son. And it's been tough. Yesterday morning, I was in, um, next one, this place, Durham Cathedral. Where are we? (laughs) Thanks. I was at the Shrine of Cuthbert in Durham Cathedral. There it is, one of the finest shrines um, in in the the world, in my opinion. And um, I went to the Shrine of, of Cuthbert and can you see that thing over his um, grave? It's, I don't know what it is, but it's a picture and it's upside down. And my son said to me, I can't see that properly. And I said, neither can I. So I lay on the ground on the stone floor to have a good look. And it was actually quite beautiful. Um, it had, can we have the next one, please? Thank you. Jesus standing there with his arms out, not in a kind of blessing kind of pose that, you know, I'm going to impart my superiority, but in a, an embrace. And I had a beautiful moment there, just thinking, I am loved by God, until some Japanese tourists came in and started climbing over me, <laughs> wondering why this woman was lying on the floor. And that's where you come in, not on a stone floor, but in front of the mirror that is Scripture in front of a picture of the God who loves you. And I'd like to know which of the characters you identify with or which image this morning that you've seen on the screen has spoken to you. I'm going to end with the words of Sandy Miller. He was our vicar um, when we were in London. And he'd been at a conference and the spirit had moved and Sandy was walking along the beach and he was praying and he was telling God how much he loved him and he was listing all of the things he was going to do for God that would really please God. And he said, out of the blue, it was like he heard God saying, all I want is you. All I want is you. And Sandy said that was really hard to take. To see the love of God for us, even though we let him down time and time again, all he wants is us. We get ourselves so worried. We see our value to God in terms of our ministry or our contribution, but it's not about us. 
when you think about it on your knees, there's very little you can offer the God who owns anything anyway. But all your heavenly Father wants for Father's Day is you. Amen.